This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for the Boston Celtics, who just smacked LeBron James and the Cavaliers in the mouths in Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Definitely not the outcome I expected, nor such an early lead. Seemed like in the third quarter, there'd be a little bit of a comeback on the Cavs part. Found a way to close that lead down to 14. Could have gone the other way, but boy, some plays to start out the fourth quarter. The Celtics wind up securing a blowout win, 108 to 83. John, certainly not what you and I would have expected or anybody would have expected heading into this series, especially against the best player on the planet. I, I can't even believe it. I was out sitting on a, on a on the sideline of a soccer game, missing the first quarter, and I was giving the updates to everybody from following on my phone. And they, I had everyone as they they blew that lead up to twenty twenty one points. Everyone's like, "What is that? Right? Are you sure you're looking at the right game? Is this?" They couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. But it was real, man. We got to watch the rest of the game, second quarter on. Um, amazing, amazing performance from the Boston Celtics today. They, they did everything they had to do to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers. Look, you know, a lot of people are going to point the finger at missed in shots and, you know, Cleveland just not playing up to their potential. And that's, and there's a lot of truth in that. But the Celtics absolutely obliterated the Cleveland Cavaliers today in a way that we have not seen before. We have not seen the Celtics beat the Cleveland Cavaliers like this in the LeBron James era. We did in the, in the post LeBron James era. We did in, you know, the pre LeBron James era, but this is, this was different. This was very different. And this was a Celtics team that had a plan, executed it with near perfection and really put themselves in an excellent place to but one step closer, or at least three steps away, I should say, from the NBA Finals. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Well, LeBron tried to explain it away, that saying that Indiana had smacked him in the mouth in game one as well, and he sees it as a feeling it out game. And I do think there are some elements of truth to that, but everybody on the Cavs was off. I mean, really just not able to knock down any shots. I think they were, what, 0 for 13 on their first uh, 13 three-pointers. I mean, that's just bizarre, I think, with that crew. But here's the here's the reason. It's what we've talked about forever and a day about what makes this Celtics team so special, especially some of these young guys. Long, athletic, switchable, and really all the way from the one to the five because they decided to go small with Marcus Morris. We knew that they had gotten Marcus for his defensive, statistically defensive prowess, prowess on LeBron James. You and I highlighted that in the last show leading up to this pre or up to this game one. And even then we hadn't closed out the Philadelphia series. We were always already looking ahead. 
But we had talked about that. It was nice to see Marcus Morris come back and have a good performance because he basically stunk it up against his hometown team, the 76ers, the whole way through the series. So good to see him rebound there. And they did go small, that switchability. And what I loved about it, what, you know, I think I had said what I'd like to see is, is Jalen Brown be the one that brings the double. But instead, what we saw was Horford patrolling the paint. And he was shadowing kind of like a free safety to come over and provide the double if LeBron got near the paint at all. Um, I know that, that LeBron will adjust his game. I know that um, the Celtics will also have to adjust their game. They'll have to use elements of that. But they're going to have to keep throwing him different looks to continue to stifle him. Geez, 15 points in game one. Well, and, and for that to be the case, you need to have Kevin Love. For, basically, for the Cavs to counter that, they need Kevin Love to go off. And one for three from three-point land. Of course, 0 for 14 for the entire Cavaliers to start the seat, to start the, uh, the game here in game one from three-point land. That's not going to stop Al Horford from doing what he was doing in game one. And as long as they have that extra body, Taking up space, just like Baines was doing, just like, uh, it, well, actually, Baines was doing against the, the Bucks and doing also here against, uh, the 76ers and trying to stop that, um, the, the ability for the big, small forward, whether it's Giannis, whether it's, uh, you know, Ben Simmons here or LeBron James, take up that space and then, you know, Basically, t- take take away the, the quick drive, force them to move the ball around, and as you said, be able to there to double. They have they just have an answer right now. Now, if Cleveland starts making those threes, if they start to to open that up, then obviously that's going to take that away. Uh, but even if that happens, you feel like Celtics have another gear to go to. I, I know that seems crazy to say, but I feel like on a, on a day when you have players like you know, let's say you know. Terry, Terry Rozier. Rozier. I knew Eight you were going to go to Terry Rozier. And yeah. you're right. There was definitely room for improvement there. And I almost think, too, they should invert the game. Like, if I'm Cleveland, I'm going to play LeBron at the five in this series. And I'm going to try to get him down in the post and have Le- and have Kevin Love set up to the outside. Because down low, Kevin Love wasn't having any success. They almost need to put it upside down because look at the way the Celtics are trying to keep LeBron on the perimeter. And that actually allows a lot of those rangy guards and wings to cover the three-point shooters that Cleveland has out there. Yeah, they missed a couple of open ones, but there was also a lot of challenging defense on the perimeter. I think if you bring LeBron down into the post and have Kevin, you know, park out a little bit beyond the arc, that they might actually wind up collapsing the defense enough to get their other shooters open. Well, the other thing that I would, for Cleveland, that I look at is Tristan Thompson. I think Tristan Thompson is probably more than the other guys, the player who most needs to step up. And he had eight points today, 11 rebounds, and that's, that's no slight. He had a good first half, but he was minus 12 for the game, like everybody else on his team. They're, they need him to be the dominant player that he has been against the Celtics. I mean, he has absolutely killed them. Last year in the playoffs, he was a monster on the boards. Celtics didn't have anybody they could throw at him. They need 
Tristan Thompson to, to really get those offensive putbacks and keep those possessions on, on the, on the Cleveland Cavaliers side of things. I just look at what, what Tristan's doing. He's been such a zero since he got the curse of the Kardashian on him. And I think ever since then, it's been, it's been terrible. And I, you know, if he can't step up, they really are in a tough way. I mean, I think Ty Lue tried to go with this ultra, you know, switchable, very offense heavy lineup. And I think that really plays into Boston's hands. I mean, yeah. Yeah, he met their strategy. You're going to get Marcus, Jalen, and Tatum on the floor. And I think that's not what – I don't think that benefits Cleveland. I think they need to slow it down and try to muck it up with big guys and with a couple shooting areas, try to do it that way as opposed to trying to really – do what Boston does better than they do. They don't have enough two-way players, I think, to compete with Boston in that sort yeah. of line. You never in any uh, in any competitive event want to match the opponent's game plan. And you're right. They played into Boston's hands. They thought maybe they could do what happened to Belichick in the Super Bowl and sort of, you know, bring bring their game to them and beat them at it. It would have been a statement game if they pulled it off. But to your point, they don't really have the bodies. As far as slowing it down, look at the way the end of the third quarter went. That's really when they closed it to 14. They did exactly what you just described. It seemed like all of a sudden minutes were, minutes and seconds were not coming off the clock, and yet the deficit was just driving down and driving down. And it was because during that stretch, Semiogele did not play very well, and Cleveland was playing their style of basketball. I really thought actually coming into the fourth quarter that the Celtics had a lot to worry about. That little cut – Heading down to the closing minutes, you got the best player in the game. I mean, that very quickly with a hot start to the fourth quarter could have been a single-digit lead, and then all bets are off against LeBron James. That's where I thought it was going. Marcus Smart made some great plays in that fourth quarter, the start of it, to make sure that that didn't happen. And Tatum, too. I think that you're right. Absolutely. they kicked off that the start of that fourth with a 7-0 run, and I think that that basically ended the game from that point on. I'm never comfortable with Cleveland. I'm never, you know, just there's 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 so many there's so much history with LeBron. I'm just never comfortable there. But the ability that they had to start off that fourth quarter, sensing what was going on, and Tatum really, you know, Tatum and Marcus, those two guys really keying that 7-0 run. That was it. That was, that was the end of it. I thought that, but you're right though, in terms of going back to the third quarter piece, that third quarter piece was really a spot where Cleveland was starting to, to win back. The Celtics offense was not effective in that stretch. Of course, you'd see the situation. That's when they get lazy. comes out. They get it's lazy tough. sometimes. They, and they start jacking threes and that's what, and it really it was their ability to just go to the hole in this game. It's like they forgot there's no mm-hmm. shop blocker on this team and Jalen Brown attacked right off the tip and then they continued to do that. Um, and, and actually not a ton. They were knotted up, I think, kind of going back and forth. It would think it was tied at seven, seven at one point. And that's when the Celtics went on that massive run and really pulled out, you know, a near 20 point lead very quickly. And, and I'd say that that, that little stretch there, uh, they were going inside regularly. I mean, even Terry's most successful moments in the game was when he was coming around, maybe even, I would say, an unintended pick in the paint for that short little up jumper. You know, not really a floater, but he was just kind of a little pop shot as soon as he's coming around one of his own men. And I'm not even sure that was all strategic. Some of that action was not normal Celtics offense action, and yet – that's when they got some really great points. And I think they need to continue to work it inside. I think the scary thing heading into the next game is 
I'm not sure that Marcus Smart's going to be that good offensively again. That three-pointer from the corner was, as you described, early in the fourth quarter was so crucial. He had a nice high kiss off the glass. Those were crucial buckets to help make sure that the team didn't get close. So we'll talk about game two coming up on Tuesday night in just a second. But you can follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live, as well as your hosts. Follow me at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke. And the entire CLNS Media Network is at CLNS Media. Facebook.com slash CLNS fans and don't forget to download the CLNS Media app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS Media in your app marketplace. And finally, the YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash CLNS Media for high definition, full length locker room interviews, the garden report, the round table, and a five to ten minute snippet of, that's right, me and John Celtic Stuff Live. All there on the YouTube channel. Again, youtube.com slash CLNS Media. So let's look ahead to game two. It's Tuesday night. I know everybody wants to be geeking out on this win. I'm certainly geeking out on this win. I'm going to relish it while we have it. You know what Brad's saying in the locker room, and he would be right to say it. It's just one game. And quite frankly, for Cleveland to take home court advantage, they only need to take one of two, and they are going to be one pissed-off group come out game two. I almost feel like a blowout and the embarrassment might make it harder to take these first two at home than if they had just simply had a really close game, fought it out, got the edge, and then headed into to, to the second game. But everybody's going to be well-rested for this one, and Cleveland's going to be angry. Well, and, and I think every Celtics fan of some age remembers the Mother's Day Massacre of 85 when Celtics started the finals off against the Lakers. Uh, Memorial Day Massacre, I'm sorry. See, this is it's the alliteration thing. And they kicked the crap out of the L.A. Lakers up and down the court, um, and then they go off and lose in six games. Um or losing seven games, excuse me, to the Lakers. You know, there's something about when teams blow out, you know, the other team in the first, and then it really kind of gives some motivation to the the team that whose butt got kicked. And I, you see that a lot. And it, you know, I don't know what the statistics are. Certainly, I think it was 83 percent of all teams who've won Game One have won the series. But there's something there's something psychological about getting your butt kicked and then having to and then you know having the rest of the series to to earn it back. So I don't. I don't count out LeBron. I don't count out the, the Cavs. Look, they came back from 3-1 down. Of course, they had Kyrie at that time. That was a different team, a stronger team than this one. I just don't think that I'm ready to, to pour, start pouring dirt on the grave of the Cleveland Cavaliers or LeBron James as a Cleveland Cavalier. But <laughs> there is something in the air right now with this team, this Celtics team at this time, and something with this Cleveland Cavaliers you know, and how LeBron is acting. And I cover, I was there games, you know, when, when the Celtics closed out the Cavs in 2010, thanks to the crazy credentials of Celtics stuff live. I was in the building that night. We did a post game podcast after the show or after the game. Um, and it was a surreal feeling. And I really feel at this point, this series, this is a sim, this is the same sort of pivotal moment that we find ourselves in as a league and with LeBron James at the center of that. Having said that, it's game two. There's a lot of time left, a lot that can happen. I think though the Celtics are going to bring the energy to match the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, I, I like their chances here in game two. I think they've figured something out and I don't think Cleveland's got an answer for it. Yeah, I think there is something going on magical. I can't help but 
harken back to that year, you know, even 0708. I remember you and I, you know, just saying, hey, this is the year. This is the year. It was just bizarre. We had a lot more reasons to think it was the year, though, because everybody was healthy. This one is just an amazing story. And so while you're correct, it's only one game. There is something very interesting. Cleveland Cavaliers just came off a sweep of the number one seed Raptors. How bizarre is that? And a little bit later, we'll talk about the Dwayne Casey, you know, all the head coaches vote. And then all of a sudden, the next day or two days later, he's gone. We'll get into that. And and obviously, not a single coach around the league casting a vote for Brad. That's very interesting to me. That I mean, Brad doesn't want to take the credit. I don't blame him. The players are getting it done on the court. But there is something very special, and it has a lot to do with how Brad manages this team. There's just no doubt in my mind. There's some amazing talent. And for the guy, for a guy in Jalen Brown who supposedly couldn't shoot the ball, all of a sudden, <laughs> and remember at the beginning of the season still, we were like, we're just happy he's raised his three-point percentage, right? And now he's... Go into the hole, and it's not all this weird, out-of-control, messy stuff. Uh, he's got a little bit of that power forward in him, and he knows exactly when to go up with it. Um, it doesn't get in his head when he gets blocked. He just keeps attacking, and he's knocking down open threes with such studly efficiency. I swear, <laughs> dude. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing because you would think some of those wouldn't go. And the only time I thought that he really made a big mistake in game one was they were really pushing the lead and they were feeling awesome about themselves. And he came down the right side on the wing and he just went up into a kind of an, I would say an out of control three pointer. Uh, I believe that was in the second quarter. It was sort of might have been the end of the first. It was like, settle down, Jalen, settle down, keep it in control, you know, own this game. But outside of that, it's, uh, it's really a sight to see the way that these – I mean, even Tatum, right, as a rookie, the poise, the confidence, seven straight games, 20-plus points. That came to an end. But the way that these two young fellas and even Terry Rozier filling in for, for Kyrie Irving, it's really an amazing sort of youthful energy magic all anchored around an excellent coach who instills confidence and a veteran power forward slash center in Al Horford, who's the straw that stirs the drink right now. And his defense against LeBron, remember that one play where he was going to bring the double, then they wind up getting switched. The shot clock's winding down. LeBron's got to kind of shoot from the baseline. And Horford's defense, and to get a hand in his face, was absolutely phenomenal. Al Horford, he... There's a couple, there was another time too where he gets switched out on, on Corver, you know, and, and Corver, obviously an amazing, remarkable shooter, the type of guy that you just, you know, uh, I was talking to my son about it. He's like, that guy never misses. Of course, this was before tonight, today, you know, and he's like, he's like, he's going to be the best player ever, best shooter ever. I said, well, I knew he knew better than to say that, but, uh, you know, Corver, just, <laughs> what are you teaching those kids over there? John? He didn't eat, he didn't eat for the next week. Um, <laughs> There's only one answer. Larry Joe Bird. No, but he, uh, he was, you know, it's just, he's so remarkable. But how often do you think Corver ends up with a big out on him who really, who can cover enough ground to where you wouldn't think to put the ball down to drive, but 
has such length to really bother the shot. I mean, Horford is the only guy really who can maybe Embiid, I suppose, but we saw he got a little exposed out there on the perimeter too in the last series. Corver, I mean, that's just not a situation Corver's got to be used to. And so he's, you know, he misses those. The Celtics have an unbelievable three point shooting, uh, defensive percentage and be able to stop the other team. At some point, teams need to, not teams, the media and the fans and, and everyone in the, the NBA Twitter needs to understand this is, that's the secret to the Celtics, uh, success is that they make teams miss their three pointers. That's, I mean, it's not like it's, you know, some sort of Ouija board type stuff. I mean, they play good defense. They contest. They put their hands up. There's a reason why you see Jalen Brown, you know, 15 feet away. He's contesting things that he probably isn't going to block, but you know, there's a chance. And because of that, they, they miss those shots. It, it's a percentage. It's a proven verifiable fact, folks. They're good at making the other team miss. And if when you have situations like against Philly, where, uh, you know, obviously they torched the heat, they go into the Celtics series. You did not see that same performance from Bellinelli and, and JJ Redick. And now we're going to have the same situation basically with Cleveland, where you have unbelievable shooters in love and Corver. They're going to go against a team that knows how to take away their bread and butter. Now, can is there a second gear? Is there a way those guys can can work around that? That's what we're going to see here in game two. Yep, that's right. There's going to be some adjustments. LeBron and the Cavs need to figure out how to work it inside so they can collapse that defense and and really challenge the closeouts of the Celtics. Because to your point, everybody's lengthy. Everybody can switch. The only way to get that space is to push them to the middle. So it'll be interesting. That's why I kind of felt like maybe LeBron needs to be posting up. Rather than setting it up on the outside, they need to really invert that. That would be something that the Celtics really hadn't game planned for. And it will be a trick pony because they'll adjust at some point, probably at the half as they always do, but that's something that they ought to really look at. Okay, everybody, uh, we're going to tell you about Simple Contacts because this is a sponsor of ours. Um, I've gotten contacts from Simple Contacts. They're awesome. If you wear contacts, you know how annoying it is to have a have to go and get a prescription year after year just to be able to buy more contacts even when your, your uh, prescription isn't changing. Simple Contacts is changing all of that by using technology to make renewing your prescription and buying contacts, well, Super simple, and here's how it works. Using your phone or computer, you just take the vision test in less than five minutes, literally anywhere, and a real doctor reviews the results within 24 hours and writes you a new prescription. Boom, a fresh supply of your brand of lenses on the way to your door. No more appointments, no more waiting rooms, no more overpaying. Simple Contacts brings the doctor's office to wherever you are whenever you need it. Quite frankly, I am constantly traveling all over the country, so for me to schedule an appointment just to have to to cancel it again. What a convenience this is. I can just go ahead and take that uh, vision test on my computer while I'm on the road, and by the time I'm home, the contacts are waiting for me at my door. Simple Contacts offers every brand of lenses. The prices are unbeatable, and the prescription is just $20. The contacts lens prices are super competitive. Shipping is free, and best of 
all, our listeners get $30 off their first Simple Contacts order. So to save $30 on your lenses, just go to simplecontacts.com slash CSL18 or enter the code CSL18 at the checkout. I do have to mention, though, that this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You still need those occasionally, but it is the most convenient way to renew a prescription and reorder your contacts if your vision hasn't changed. Again, check out Simple Contacts. Get $30 off by going to simplecontacts.com slash CSL18 or just enter the code CSL18 at the checkout. Give it a try. Thank me later. And listen up, fellas. 66% of men begin losing their hair by age 35, just like LeBron, and they choose to do nothing about it until it's too late. However, just ask the king himself. It's a whole lot easier to keep the hair you have than to replace the hair you've lost. So, if you started to notice the receding hairline, or maybe you're like me and your son finally spoiled the secret that you couldn't see on your own. That's right, the bald spot hiding in the back. Why is it that we do nothing when we can turn to medicine and science? Here's your chance. Our listeners get a trial month of hymns for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. See the website for full details. Go to 4 slash CSL2017. This would cost hundreds of dollars if you went to the doctor or pharmacy. That's 4 slash CSL2017. All right, John. So as we hit the second half, you know, I do think there's some gamesmanship there, et cetera, et cetera. But quite frankly, I think the Celtics' success in this series, bottom line, comes down to can they maintain that level of confidence that we've seen throughout the postseason? Can they? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think they can. I think what I'm trying to see is, you know, can I, th- I think the confidence is sky high. They're, they need somebody to take that down a notch. And they, the only way I see that happen is if they go down. Do they go down 2-1? Do they, you know, does Cleveland win a couple in a row? I mean, that's the only way I think the Celtics really get their, their, you know, get themselves knocked down a bit, right? I mean, at this point, everything is going well for them. I mean, really ever since, I, I'd say even early in the Buck series, because I never really felt that series was in any sort of jeopardy. Um, this team has been on a roll, and they seem to get better and better and better. And I don't really know what's going to stop them. And let's, maybe the best player in the world might be what it takes to stop them. But he's, he's he can't play one on five. His teammates need to help him. And I don't know if he has the help to be able to slow down the rest of the team. I, I thought Celtics in seven uh, – to begin with, and there's nothing that's really made me change that perspective. I think LeBron will get the help from a few whistles when he gets to Cleveland. Uh, I think he will uh, get all the benefit he needs in that end of it. And, you know, Cleveland's shots will drop at, at some point, but I just, I don't know. I, I can't imagine that the Celtics' confidence, it just seems like it's so deep-seated within them that they can overcome anything. The team that, that the game that I went to when they beat the Rockets when they're down by 26 and come back in the second half and, and get two charges. I mean, there's such a deep core of strength, of belief of oneself and of team that even if they lose, you don't feel like their confidence will ever, will ever shake uh, because they've got a guy at the head there who I think instills that confidence in them and supports that even when they when they do screw up. Yeah, I feel like with these young players, that's exactly what you're trying to do or you're banking on shaking their confidence and getting in their head. 
but nobody's really been able to do that outside of Della Vadova, right? And Philly didn't have much of an instigator either. They tried to use TJ McConnell. He shook it up a little bit. Had a good series, honestly. If you could appoint a single player for Philadelphia that really tried to change the landscape of the series, although a little too late, it was TJ. But he still was no Matthew Della Vadova. <laughs> I just think... Obviously, Cleveland needs an instigator if they're going to get in the heads of some of those players. They need to force somebody like Marcus Smart to lose his cool, maybe an injection. You know, they need to get into into Brown and Tatum's head by being extremely physical and not giving them space and maybe using fouls. I don't understand, especially even in the Philly series, after we saw... Now, yeah, I know the officials swallowed their whistle, and I was furious, furious Justin, but... At the same time, I felt like that physicality definitely got into the Celtics' head. And we didn't see Philadelphia really get physical all that. I mean, they got physical, but not at the other level. And really, neither of the Cavaliers, and I'm not sure they have the personnel outside of maybe a LeBron and a Tristan Thompson to really go out there and and get that physical. And quite frankly, I think that's what it's going to take to beat this team is and really slow down that confidence is somebody's got to be beating them up where they just don't want to go inside. And that did not happen. They had free range in the paint in game one. And that's, I think that's the difference between this year's team and last year's team. Forget the switchability. I think that killed them last year. No doubt about it. But the presence of Baines and, and even Monroe, I'm going to, I'm going to give Monroe some dap in this, in this area. The presence of those two guys and the ability for them to provide a physical answer to what Tristan Thompson does. I don't know if they'll play better than Tristan Thompson. I think Baines can. I think Mook, uh, I think that uh, Moose Monroe can do that, but at least provide some pushback there. I think that was an issue last year. They had nobody on that team. Amir Johnson wasn't going to be that guy. Kelly Olynyk obviously was not going to be that guy. They have the the strength there who can who can answer uh what Tristan Thompson does a little bit. They didn't have that then, and I think if if they do play that card, we talked about that, if in game two they go and they, they use Tristan Thompson more, they maybe put him in the starting lineup, the answer is obviously you bring Baines in, but also you know you could go with Monroe. You can put Monroe in there on Thompson, and it does kind of lengthen out your rotation a little bit, which might be helpful. It's not that I want to see them lengthen the rotation and get Nader in and things get really nutty, but I, I hold think on, hold on. You do want idea. to see lots of Nader because that means you've got another well, thirty-point lead with yes. five minutes to yes. go. But I, but your point's well taken. That's a great point. Yes, yes. Now I think Monroe, if they do go with the Tristan Thompson idea, I think it really gives Boston kind of an out because. The problem with where they were right now, we saw that today, you know, uh, Morris gets in a, it's his quick two fouls. And then what do you do? Well, we know what Brad does. Brad keeps them in, tries to get them to play through it. And then try to, by the way, I love that because he forces the officials hands. That's what I love because no, seriously, (laughs) think about it. The officials literally have to sit there and say, am I going to call another? It puts them in a precarious position about calling a ticky tack foul on a guy. And, and, and it may be an all in kind of thing and they may call his bluff at some point and he loses his chips, you know, all in the middle of the table. But I think, I think that actually is a little bit of a game changer, even hearkening back to the way that that series went against the Bucks, right? Force. It's always better to put the pressure on the opponent and sometimes the officials are the opponent. 
<laughs> and when you're playing against LeBron James, that's never more true than than he got when called that for a travel in game one. How did that even happen? I like I just I did I did like that crazy face, just like what? Like there Who? was I was like a, a travel? No, oh, it was it was really a thing of beauty. I think LeBron was more surprised than we were. <laughs> I think you're right. He was shocked. He was, he could not believe it. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, it, it was the first time in his entire career, probably, he was ever called for a travel. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine. I, yeah, will that happen again? Probably not. But he was, you know, that's, that's the problem with it. But it, it does put, um, you know, with only those three wings, those three switchable amazing w- wings, you know, you have Ojale, but, you know, that's that's no no O and a lot of D. With Morris, Tatum, and Brown, you're really <laughs> you need those three guys to play a lot of minutes for you. And if they do pick up those quick fouls on LeBron, you're in trouble because you want one of them to play four. But if they're using Tristan Thompson, well, then now you're sliding Horford over to the four, and you really only have to play two of those guys at once. So it it really. On the one hand, it's what Cleveland needs. On the other hand, it really helps Boston out of a really bad way if they get there. So it's there is no easy answer for Ty Lue in this. There's definitely some uh, some some risk there that he is has there, to calculate into that. Was there ever an easy answer for Ty Lue? I mean, and again, I don't mean to pick on him here, but I am going to pick on him a little bit. But pick on him, you know, he's he's. He could be a great coach. We won't know until LeBron's gone, and then he won't get the benefit of anybody's doubt, right? Because as soon as you lose LeBron, and you might actually be – I mean, this team's going to have to do what Indiana did when they lost Paul George for Tyler to get any credit post-LeBron. And it does seem like that guy, that cat's on his way out, right? This is the last hurrah. He'd love to face Golden State or Houston in the finals. But the truth of the matter is, you know, he's got one one foot out the door. And maybe that's an advantage for the Celtics in this series. I, I'm not going to say that there isn't fight in LeBron because there's always fight in LeBron. But that may be in his head if the if if strategy doesn't go well. And the chemistry thing is definitely a little broken up. I mean, I realize Isaiah wasn't going to be healthy for the postseason, but you almost have to think that a pissed-off Isaiah Thomas in this series would have made a huge difference for Cleveland just in terms of attitude and approach and getting fired up for even just a game one. No, I'm not sure what – you're talking about the fire inside that guy. Uh, you're right. But it feels – I don't know. I feel like the difference is – how do I put this? I think LeBron James has a personal fire within him, okay? I think he wants to succeed. I think he wants to do well. I think he wants to win. He wants to, you know, be the best player. I contrast that greatly with the Boston Celtics because let's look at their leader now, Horford. Al Horford is not going to put up the numbers LeBron James is ever going to put up. But you feel like in Horford, there is a pride in the collective. There's a pride in the overall success. I feel like LeBron's view of his teammates as they are pawns used to victory, to build for his own victory. For, for Horford, they're all components that help the organism, the, the, the organization succeed. 
And I think no, that's a really important no, it's 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 almost paternal, right? Yes. That Horford feels responsible yep. for their yes. success, where LeBron feels like the rest of his team is there to contribute to his success. Absolutely. It's a one-sided dynamic, and perhaps that's what happens when you, you know, cast aside Cleveland and go to Miami and cast aside Miami and you go to Cleveland. But you look at how he reacted uh, in 2010 when the Celtics vanquished him, uh, <laughs> throws the jer- jersey off, the, the mini gets in the tunnel, you know, tosses it away. It's not about the team. It's about LeBron. And you saw the video there as they were finishing, as he's walking at the end of game one. One, he was in the tunnel well before the final buzzer sounded. And two, that was a guy who wanted nothing to do with the 12 guys he went to battle with. And to me, that's why LeBron James, it's why, you know, fans have a harder time kind of getting around him. I know LeBron, you know, M- M- Michael punched some of his teammates and Larry was hard on Jim Paxson and whatever. But there's just, there's a, there's a space there that I don't think you saw from, from guys in the past. And I think Kevin Durant is one who's, who's put his arms around his guys and, and Steph. LeBron sets himself apart from the rest of the team, and I think that that ultimately is to his detriment. And we're seeing that gap widen as his team is unable to help him, and he's doing whatever he's doing. And when it comes to loss, it's it's finger pointing time. What a, I'm what a ready for it. What an interesting position for LeBron. Me too. What an interesting <laughs> position for LeBron to be in in just that way. If you know he already wants to leave, on the one hand. Going to the finals and, you know, taking another narrow loss makes it really hard for him to exit. On the other hand, losing in the Eastern Conference finals, hey, we just don't have what we need. You know, the team tried three different types of trades. They weren't able to keep Kyrie. Like, he's got all kinds of reasons why he would get out of Cleveland and go somewhere else and and just say, this team's just not going to be able to do it, right? We've exhausted our salary. We went out and got some young players, but, we, you know, we're just not going to win championships with this club. And uh, it, But if he goes to the finals, it's tougher. There's a narrative here where he the last team he wants to lose to is the Boston Celtics, right? Just because of all the battles in the Eastern Conference throughout his entire career. There was really only a short gap when he wasn't competing against the Celtics for the top, you know, rights to go to the finals, right? Every every year it seems like he's got to go through Boston and early on it was a struggle and then it wasn't and then, you know, then he went to Miami and he was kind of beating up on him a little bit after that and it's just a very interesting you know, karmic full circle here. And the last thing he wants to do is go down in Cleveland to the Celtics. You know, there's enough blood there that they, even though it's a totally different cast of characters, but this young team, these young players, this shorthanded, it's almost worse that if he went down to the Celtics without Kyrie Irving, than if he'd gone down to the Celtics with Kyrie Irving, right? That's, and so this is not how he wants to go out. And yet it would be, the narrative that would allow him to to make his exit from Cleveland, whereas if he goes to the finals, it's a lot harder for him to uh, to excuse that move away again. Instead, it looks like, hey, come on, man, we've been in the finals year after year after year, and you're bailing on us again. Totally different than we just lost to the youthful Celtics, and 
you know, we tried numerous trades. We couldn't keep Drew, Uncle Drew, and and this is where I'm at. It's time to move on. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It's interesting to see how the narrative works in and around his desire to leave. I mean, I just the parallels between 2010 and 2018 now are just fascinating to me. And even just the images just stuck in my head right now of him walking down that hallway, just like he did in 2010. You know, and I know it's not it's not the final game, and it wasn't. You know, there's, there's a long time to go, but you just get the sense as this as the Cleveland Cavaliers aren't able to be the Cleveland Cavaliers of 2016 or 2015. You know, when he first got there and Kyrie was there, and obviously they they won the championship. The further the team gets away from that, the further LeBron moves away from you know being you know part of that collective, and I just. I, I feel like he's already pulling away. I really do. I feel like he's already got one eye out the door or one foot out the door, one eye out the door, whatever you want to say. I think he's already looking for a, a better situation and it's not here. You know, just by him, you know, they bring in all these, all these players of the trade. Everyone's talking about the trade, the trade, all oh, they got the guys and he's going to do it and everything. It obviously almost other than George Hill, none of them are in that really important players. Clarkson was a complete zero. Hood played a little bit, not great. Nance is out of the rotation completely. That trade did nothing. And so he's going to war with the old guys, the old guys who can't, can only play O or D, uh, old guys who probably have seen better days behind them. Love probably be an exception to that. And this is what he's got. And he knows he's the best he can get is what, is what he can get out of those guys. And unfortunately, I think even he knows it's not going to be enough. It's time to go. And and it's definitely not going to be enough in the finals. That's really what it boils down to, right? Right. So, you know, I think, to your point, somewhere in the back of his head, he's like, I can't carry these guys. And that's his thing, right? He feels like he carries everybody. And the more Kevin Love lets him down and the more Tristan Thompson doesn't dominate, the more he feels like it's all on me, it's all on me. The only thing I will say, though, is he really never had a moment in game one where he really tried to take over. He never juiced it up. Um, we've seen LeBron just get ball dominant for five, six minutes straight and erase deficits, and he never turned those jets on. And I think that may also be influencing your perception of what you saw from him today and his head being out of the game. That's where game two, and as we wrap up the show, just a couple of minutes left, where we look ahead to game two, that's what I expect to change. I expect to see LeBron not only attempt, but at many times during that uh, during game two, I expect him to just completely dominate the game. The question is, can the Celtics withstand that barrage? And even if they don't and they drop a game two, can they go on the road and recapture one with the officials against them? Um, it only takes <laughs> one of these two home games for Cleveland to take home court advantage back to, back to Cleveland. And that's really their job. In any series, going down 2-0, we saw all those stats in the Phillies series, etc. It's not good. This game, too, is the most important game. And I just feel like LeBron also left something in the tank in game one that he's absolutely not going to leave uh, out on the floor in game two. And I think that's where I get a little scared. Well, I, uh, hmm. 
I think you're right. I think he's going to come back with a vengeance. The same reason we were talking about earlier. It, it's you, you beat a team badly. They're seemingly ready to go in game two to, to get that blood, you know, to try to get a little bit of blood back. Uh, the question is, do the Celtics have enough to throw at him to where it, it can blunt that? I think they do. I think the Celtics do have enough to, to blunt his charge. Now, what worries me more is the rest of the guys, right? I, I think LeBron can go out and get 36 and 10 and 7. I, I think that absolutely. I'm more worried about the 7 than the 36 though. I'm more worried about him creating opportunities for teammates, creating three balls, creating an opportunity for Corver and Love and JR. See those guys get going. I'm okay with LeBron. You're going nuts. I'm less okay with seeing those other guys get going. So, you know, as we look ahead to game two, you know, I think strategically they're going to make a different move. They're going to do something different. I think they'll probably go more with Tristan, you know, with after he had such a good first half. I think Brad Stevens is going to be ready for that though. Uh, so I think I, I don't, I don't see Ty Lue out coaching Brad Stevens in the adjustment game on this. I think it's a question of can LeBron go to the supernova level like we saw in game six of 2012, uh, Eastern Conference Finals then where he just went supernova and uh, obliterated the Celtics yeah. in Boston. He well, could he do that in game two? Yes. Do I no, think he will? I think I don't. No, I think LeBron is going to go supernova in game two. The question will be, will anybody else be able to go off in game two? If he's doing it on his own, that's actually where the Celtics would like to see it. Get it one-dimensional, get other people out of the offense, uninvolved and uninterested. That will play right into their hands heading back to Cleveland. But... Game two, Tuesday night, everybody enjoy it. That's going to do it for this week's show. The broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. A heartfelt thank you to everybody for tuning in. And remember that you can support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show. And for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Media, Nick Gelso, and my co-host, John Duke. I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.